The Meeting Charleston podcast is sponsored by Princeton Mortgage, home of the Princeton Promise. If you think your mortgage process was anything less than effortless, just tell them why and receive a $1,000 credit at closing. My husband Mark and I moved to Charleston in 2018 with our three daughters. We both grew up in New Jersey and were ready for a new adventure. We had visited Charleston a few years back and immediately fell in love. So when it came time to pick a new home, low country living seemed like a no-brainer. So far, it has definitely exceeded our expectations. We love meeting our new neighbors and hearing their stories, so we started this podcast because we think that you might want to hear these stories too. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our feed on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, and please give us a five-star rating. Your support will make it easier for us to get an audience with the people you would most like to hear from. If you have suggestions for us on guests or things that we can do to improve the podcast, please message us on Facebook or Instagram. Your feedback is sincerely appreciated. Now on to our guest. This is Mark Gordon. We're here at the Meeting Charleston Podcast. This is Nicole Gordon. Yeah, we are here with uh, Anthony DiBernardo, who is the owner of Swig and Swine. Yeah, man. Nice nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you. So you're also a Jersey boy, right? I am. Don't tell anybody. No. You'll blow my cover. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess it's out now. It's out now. So, and, and an Eagles fan too, right? Oh, yeah. So we will not hold that against you. We're Giants fans. Come on. Uh, yeah. But uh, so glad to have you here. Um, so, Mic drop. I'm out. Yeah, that's it, right? <laughs> we, we're going to be nice about it. So um so yeah, I wanted to get you in here and talk about it. So what we really do here is we get to know people, their stories. You know, we've been living down in Charleston for the last 15 or 16 months, meeting our neighbors, um, getting a feel for, for the community. So uh, you have one of the finest establishments down here. You guys have been doing this for six years. I want to kind of hear your story. So, you know, tell us a little bit about, um, first of all, how you went from being a guy who worked in a restaurant to a guy who owned restaurants <laughs> and then owned four restaurants and take us on your path, take yeah. us on your journey. So I'll, I'll start. I'll start, you know, in the beginning. So born in, in South Jersey, uh, Woodbury, New Jersey. Actually, our mantua is where I grew up. Uh, my father used to cut meat on 9th Street in South Philly in the Italian market. Cool. Uh, my mom used to work at a little grocery store on the market. And uh, the, the meat cutter my dad worked for used to supply the butcher at that grocery store every day. And that's where my parents met. And uh, I think in like 68, um, they moved my three sisters over to South Jersey and then I was born in 72. So, uh, it was, you know, farmland back then. It was all farmland. Um, that's how my father knew about the area. Uh, when he was young, his cousins had a farm and he would work summers on the farm. Um, so he moved us over to there. So, so I grew up picking vegetables and, you know, eggplant and corn and tomatoes and zucchini and packing them for market. And that was my summer vacation until I was 12. And, I got a bike and I started riding it to uh, Ron Jaworski's Eagle's Nest. Okay, cool. He had a country club not far from my house, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. You wouldn't know anything about that because you're Giants fans, but yeah. as an Eagles fan. Um, well, it's because we're young, actually. We know him from ESPN <laughs> now. So, yeah, but so he had a uh, country club and I got a job when I was 12 working his uh, banquet kitchen. So I would scrub pots and, and peel chopped vegetables for him um, during the school year. So I worked there from 12 to 14, and then I got uh, moved up the ranks, and I worked the hotline at the Players Club downstairs called Mulligans. And that's where they would do the uh, Monday night post-game wrap-up show with Bill Berge, was the, the host at Very the time. Cool, yeah. And uh, so I worked there, worked my way through high school. When it came time to graduate, I, I knew I wasn't the best student in the world, so I didn't want to waste anybody's money on college, so I went military. 
Okay. Um, I joined the Navy and I ended up uh, volunteering for sub duty. So through submarines, I, I started cooking on submarines and that's what got me here to Charleston. Yeah. So, so what made you decide to go into the military? Um, I just, my father was Navy, you know, a few other members of, of his family were military, but I just, I didn't, I wasn't a student. I didn't have the discipline that was required to go to college and, you know, do anything with furthering my education. So, you know, it was, uh, my best friend and I joined at the same time. He went army and I went Navy. Um, he's still in, he just got pinned full bird Colonel wow, and, uh, path. Yeah, yeah, he's about 30 years in. I did four years on the boats and cooked and that's what got me here to Charleston. So, awesome. so, so when you started working here, where, where was your journey from there? Where did you work? And I know. So when I got off the boats in 94, I was the original crew of Blossoms downtown on East Bay Street. Oh, yeah. um, right. Magnolias and Blossoms. Sure. Um, so Magnolias was the first restaurant of that group and Blossoms was the second one. So they opened uh, right there in 94. I was the original crew there. Um, you know, learned a lot from those guys. That was my first real taste of, of you know, semi fine dining. It was still semi casual, um, but just a great group, uh, great chef, Donald Berrickman there that kind of taught me a bunch of stuff. And uh, I was I was real eager to learn. And, you know, one of the benefits coming out of the military, I was disciplined. Um, so I was working, you know, 12, 14 hour days and I'd work circles around everybody else because, you know, they it was a paycheck to a lot of people. Sure. A lot of people were working their way through college. I mean, I'm there and I'm ready to go. So, you know, I hit the ground running. I think I was 20 at the time, 21 at the time, because I joined the military when I was 17. So, I mean, it was a it was a big step for me. It was a big uh, learning experience for me. Um, I worked there until 98. And then I did the, um, I took over the old hotel at Kiowa. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so, it, you know, before the sanctuary was even there, there was the Kiowa Island Inn, which was on the first, as soon as you go through the first gate right by Cougar Point. And it was a small hotel, 75, 75 rooms on each side. So 150 rooms total, um, three banquet facilities, a, a little restaurant by the pool. And um, that was my first taste of the corporate hotel life. And I didn't really care for it too much, <laughs> uh, but I stuck it out. I did four years there. Okay. Uh, once again, just, you know, learned a lot, whether it be teaching myself or, or learning from the people around me. Uh, we had a great team and and it was it was hard work. I you know those those hotel guys. It's no joke. It's holidays and you know room service twenty four hours a day. And you know it's it's a whole nother world. Uh, so that was right around the time my son was born, and I knew I needed to get out of that life and scale down a little bit just for quality of life. So I went on board with a group called the Mustard Seed. Um, right. He still has the Mustard Seed in Mount Pleasant and sure. uh, Long Point Grill. At the time, he had three locations. I went on board with him and I opened um, Sete, uh, Italian restaurant for him, which is where Nico's is now okay, on the corner cool. of Shem yeah, Creek. Yeah. Yep. So that was an old pizza hut that we took over and we converted to Sete. We, I mean, we had lines out the door. I mean, it was a great place. Um, and I was with him for, let's see, I did that for two years. And then I kind of moved into a role of corporate chef for him and helped him open multiple concepts around town. And in 2009, I went on board with the guys from Kick and Chicken. Okay. Um, they opened up Rita's on Folly Beach. Um, and we had a mutual friend and I went on board with them and I was their operating partner and opened up Rita's on the beach for them in 2009. Uh, 2013 came along and uh, the Halls group came down, made them an offer and bought them out. Okay. And uh, 
I worked a like a three month contract with them just to make sure that you know, yeah, train their people how to run the place. I just, you know, I didn't want to go. It was one of those transitions in life. You know, you're you're looking at it, and the way I looked at it was, okay, here I am. I forget how old I was at the time, probably 40, 41. and um, I had opened multiple restaurants for other people. Most of them were still up and running and still doing well. So I'm this like, is you accomplishment know, here. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe I can do this. You know, maybe, you know, it's one of those things that you do time and time again. And you, you don't realize that maybe you had a little bit to do with that. Maybe you're responsible for a little bit of that success. Um, so I started looking for a property. Um, I found the Savannah Highway location. Um, it was probably a month into it the search and okay. I, I had i had gone in there a few times you know did you know you, you know did you know what your concept was you knew what yes. you wanted to do so so let's stop it for a second because i want okay swig and swine very really a brand that's developing you know I, it's funny i was on instagram earlier today and i saw somebody taking a picture of your sign yeah posting because it's something about like you know our meat in your mouth or something like that <laughs> yeah. that you know you you get so what where did that come from is that you know it's your brainchild you know what so tell me, take me on that path. So the, so back to Kiowa, you know, every Monday night at the hotel, we would go out to Mingo Point and we would cook a whole pig for the guests and we cook oysters for the guests. So, um, you know, back to 1998 is when I really had my first taste of, besides growing up Italian, you know, in South Jersey, there was a lot of pigs and, you know, pork was a big part of our diet and the whole animal butchery was always there so you know and then as my transition into the the life of a, of a of a kitchen guy of a cook i mean you know yeah i'm a chef but i cook for a living so you know cooking my whole life it was just you know my way to go and i've always been a big fan of open fire cooking um and then you know the, the whole pig thing through kiowa introduction kind of got the juices flowing a little more and then when I was at Rita's, we had a smoker in the back. And that's when I first started playing with brisket and, you know, smoking wings and turkey and doing all those kind of things. So that was kind of my, I was dabbling there and those guys were great. And um, we bought a little trailer unit and they kind of backed me in a little catering operation. So I was doing some catering on the side and, and the catering I was doing on the side was strictly barbecue. So that's kind of where... That all came in. So when it came time to do my own thing, I knew what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, the guys at home team are good friends of mine. And, you know, they were knocking it out of the park at their West Ashley location. And, sure. you know, their quick service over there. So um, when it came time to do the Swig and Swine, I know I wanted to do full service just to be a little bit different than they were. So about a month into it, a month into the search, I got a phone call from Steve Kish, um, who owns 82 Queen. Steve and I have known each other for at this time, like 15 years through the business. And um, he, so he came in, you're already searching, you know what you want to do. And just he happens to reach out. Well, he called because he knew I was making a move. Okay, cool. And um, he had a he had an opportunity downtown. So he called me down, we had lunch at his place. And we talked about this opportunity that he had downtown. And I was like, well, let me tell you about this thing I'm working on. Sure. And um, that's when he brought his son into the mix. Uh, Jonathan. Sure. So we talked about it. We went over and we looked at the site and I already had everything on graph paper already sketched out, had the whole interior laid out, ready to go. I mean, I was 
you know, as fast as I could do it on my own, I was making moves and trying to make this thing happen. And uh, they came along at a perfect time. And, uh, you know, they had, they had the answers to the questions that I had. So, sure. you know, I'm a cook. Yeah. I'm a grunt. You know, I'm thinking in, in my mind, shit, how am I going to do the books? Yeah. QuickBooks, how am I going to work this? You know, what kind of Aloha system <laughs> am I going to use? What kind of drinks am I going to have? So they kind of came along and, and kind of answered all the questions for me that I didn't have. And it was a perfect partnership. You know, they handled front of the house. They handled the bookkeeping. Steve had a bookkeeper that worked for him for A2 Queen for 30 years. So they, you know, they were able to help me with all the applications and all the insurance and everything that would would have bogged me down for a year they were able to come in and just help me and allow me to focus on the food and that's kind of how we hit it out of the park you know i was able to focus on the food and service they were able to focus on the service and the bar end and the paperwork and you know the two halves together just kind of melded and and we still do i mean it's still you know i hear all these nightmares about and you hear it every day about partnerships especially in the restaurant business Yeah. yeah you know in any business really and, um, you know, we're fortunate. We have a good chemistry and, and everybody has their strong points and everybody just kind of does their job. It's, it's good. It is magic when that happens. Yeah. Know, so for sure. So did you know before you did it that you wanted to do multiple locations or was it just like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping this works out and, you know, maybe someday or, or because you guys have accelerated quickly. I mean, to have four locations in five, six years, like in it's a it's a fast path so is it something you knew you wanted to go into or is it just that you hit it out of the park and it seemed like it was a no-brainer um yeah we we had no idea it was going to be like this we really didn't you know we did that first location and uh we opened that we opened that first location with 12 people on the books um i had five guys in the kitchen and then the rest in the front of the house and wow. i mean i was working these guys into the ground and uh a couple of them had been with me for years before so they you know they came back when i was ready they they came along my side and, and they really helped me out. And, um, you know, if it wasn't for them, we, we couldn't have done it, but it was, you know, back to, you know, the whole high school thing. So when, when I had my senior photo done, you have to write that little caption. Sure. And in that caption, I wrote that I would do four years in the military and then I would open my own restaurant. Wow. That's so, cool. you know, it's always been a goal. It's always been one of those goals all the way back here. And, you know, the later you get in life, you don't think, oh, shit, I'm never going to do it. You know, it's never going to be attainable, but then it happens. And then you're just so caught up in a moment and you're just so thankful to be there. And you're just so thankful that, okay, I've achieved that goal. You know, you're not really thinking because that's it. As far as I'm concerned, that's the end for me. I've done it. I'm not thinking. But now you're in it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not thinking down the road. I'm not thinking multiple locations. I'm, not, I'm just thinking how to survive this one, how to keep this one going, and how to keep this dream alive. And um, I guess it wasn't about a year into it, um, the guys from Nexton had reached out and talked to us. And, you know, I guess that was really the first time that we had anybody had ever sought us out, you know, and that kind of got the wheels turning. And, you know, we, we, we kind of sat with them in a few meetings and heard what they had to say. And it was just so expensive up there. You know, the, the price per square foot was just, you know, not for barbecue anyway. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And um, so that kind of got the wheels turning. And that's when we started looking at the Somerville area a little more. And uh, we found our location. And so we opened that one um, about two years after the original. We opened the Somerville store. And you kind of tragically had a, a fire there in that location, right? Yeah, about... Uh, 
geez, let's see, it would be June 21st. So it was a year ago. So take me to that because, you know, I, I saw another interview that you had done talking about just the financial burden that, I mean, everyone thinks, right, you have four restaurants, like you're rolling yeah. your money. It's amazing, <laughs> right? So great. But, you know, the reality of it is, is that, you know, you're, you're still in, you're still getting to that point. In the, I know it's not long, the mortgage business. No, well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, no comment. So, yeah. So, but we, um, you know, you, you, everyone just assumes it's all great, but you, that's a huge setback. And you mentioned you have people working there who, who are dependent on that job to feed their families. You know, what, what was that? what did you learn from that experience? What was that like going through that? You know, cause I've never experienced anything like that. I had to go through that even, you know, getting through the insurance and all that stuff, you know, take me on that. It's, it's one of those little dark spots that you just kind of black out in your mind. It really is. It's, you know, I you always have that fear in your mind, cooking the way we cook. It's it's live fire every day. I mean, every morning you're starting fires. Yeah. And it's just, you know, you're basically just controlling a fire all day long. So um, there was, you know, you look back on it. Yeah, there were some some things we could have put in place to help prevent it. But it's it was just one of those freak accidents, you know. And uh, we got the call. Well, it happened at like a little after one o'clock in the morning. And Charleston police came to my door at like two. And one of my buddies was on the Somerville force at the time. And he called the Charleston force and gave them my address. And they came and, and knocked on my door here in West Ashley and told me to get up to Somerville. So I, my son was there with me. I got him out of bed and we went up to the store. And by the time we got there, it was just sticks in the, uh, the smoke room. And it was just, uh, it was heartbreaking. Yeah. But it was, you know, it's just one of those things. And you just, you think, okay, you know, that's okay. We'll get through this. We'll, we'll rebuild. And, and then it's like, I think the, the insurance, the investigators for the insurance company didn't get out there and finish their work until like six weeks after the fire. Oh. And it's like, so like you're six weeks, you're just sitting there and just spinning wheels and spinning wheels and that you can't touch it. You can't do any, you can't even start demo at this point, right. you know, and it's just like, we're never going to get, then that's when it turns it's like the the stages of grief, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's you just you, you can't believe it at first, and then you're finally like, God, this is never going to happen, you know. And you and in your mind, you kind of just start to figure out, okay, well, what are we going to do if it doesn't happen? Yeah. You know, and that's kind of that lasted only for a couple of days, and then we were just kind of pulled our bootstraps up and just moved through it. But the insurance, you know, it was just insurance, and it was a nightmare and. You know, how, I don't wish it on my you, worst enemies. Yeah, no. I mean, how long did it take you from the time the fire happened to getting back up and running? Ten months. And did the customers come back immediately? Yes. Or, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so. it's back up to right where it was before we left. That's awesome. It's good so, to hear. Yeah, so, Somerville's a great clientele, really is. I mean, they're they're so loyal, you know. And that's uh, that's our number one store right now. Yeah. So. So, and when did you open the most recent store? Um, the downtown location in December. Okay. Yeah. And so, so like, you, I know you talked about this and I know that you have the help of your partners, but how many employees do you have now in these four locations? Just in the swig and swine locations, we have a little over 220, I think 225. Wow. And so, and you just opened a catering arm of this also? Well, we've always had the catering arm. Okay. Um, it's always been swig and swine catering. And at some point we were like, well, how do we get more? Like, like. You know, I was, I, the the way I look at it was I was always getting the rehearsal dinners, but never the weddings. Right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So good, I'm like, how do I get, I want both. Yep. <laughs> and that's, you know, we kind of rebranded the catering to be Queen Street Catering. 
So that's, you know, our name of our group is Queen Street Hospitality. Okay. And that's kind of the umbrella that holds 82 Queen and Swig and Swine and now Queen Street Catering. But but the majority of catering that's done through Queen Street Catering is Swig and Swine. Okay. So, but it just lets people know that we have the uh, ability to do more than just barbecue. Bigger events and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, two, so 220 employees. So all I hear from business owners when I talk to people in Charleston is how hard it is to hire, how hard it is to maintain and retain people. Um, you know, take me through your, who you're looking for, how you find those people, how you keep them happy. You know, what's that, ex- what's that experience like for you? Cause that's a lot of people. It is. It's, you know, we have a great team and, and, you know, if you follow me on Instagram or if you follow me on Facebook, um, which and is, everybody should, yeah, everybody should. Instagram is swig swine BBQ. And, uh, you can follow me, Anthony DiBernardo on Facebook or swig and swine on Facebook. Um, but you know, <laughs> Every time I get to go out of town to do an event, you know, none of that's possible without the team that's here in place, keeping things going and just, you know, day in and day out, just taking care of the customers and knocking it out of the park. I mean, it's, it's you know, I'm still, and, and I've been saying this for a year and I, I can't get through it, but I'm in like one of those personal transitions where, you know, I'm, I'm a trench guy. I'm, I'm, work, I'm used to working in the trenches. And so you go from working in the business to working on the business. That's right. And it's, you know, for something I've been doing, I'm 47 now. So I've been doing it for 40, you know, 38 years, 37 years. It's a tough transition. Yeah, to, not everybody gets through it. I mean, yeah. It, it, and it's, and yeah. It, you know, it's, and it's part of, you know, not wanting to micromanage people. And that's one of the biggest things. So it's, it's very, you know, when I go into one of the stores now, it's, I go in, I kind of look you know, from over top and see what's going on. And I try not to be nitpicky, you know, and I, you know, I, I take what I see and I go right to, you know, we have a director of operations now. So I'll go to him and I'll say, okay, look, this is what I found. This is what I see. This is what needs to be done. And this way, you know, we've tried to narrow the voices down to just one or two. Sure. Cause there's nothing worse than working in having a business nine bosses. and yep. having nine bosses. Yep. It's horrible. I've done it. I don't want to be that guy. Um, so that's kind of what we're working on now is just, you know, just trying to put systems in place that uh, we were too busy to do before because we were just, it seemed like every year we were opening a new restaurant. So it was like, you know, as soon as you get one off the ground, boom, you're already focused on another one. Yeah. So now we're just back to focusing on, you know, the inner workings of their operation, you know, consistency training, you know, just the, the things that need to be in place to help this business keep going the way it's going yeah that you need to scale yeah right? so is there a plan to open more locations not not in the near future okay no i mean it's you know it's one of those things that we you know we've looked at it and um you know i can't i can't imagine not being able to be to one of my spots in 30 minutes you know i can't imagine having in a spot in greenville and having to drive four hours if yeah. there's a problem or you know i don't know i just feel i, I feel I don't know if I could do that disconnect. Yeah, no, it's it. You know, something we have to deal with in the mortgage space too, for yeah. sure. Walnuts are kind of all over the place, and you know, it's different one on one. I can t- get somebody on Skype and be face to face, but um, in a restaurant, you know, if you have to to be able to feel some of that stuff, I would assume in a different kind of way. Yeah, and I think Swig and Swine. I think the the brand that we've built is based on that hospitality and based on the fact that you know, you know me and I know you and, you know, we've seen each other and we've spoken, we've shaken hands. And, you know, I hope that's one of the reasons that you're coming in. And, and, uh, you know, like, that's why I keep going back to the West Ashley store. It's, that's my connection. 
you know, I, I know those people who come in there every day, you know, sometimes two, three times a week. I know them, I know their families, I know their children. You know, I, I don't quite have that connection with the Somerville clientele. And I'm okay with that because there's only so much of me to go around, you know, but, but I, I like to think that, you know, my people in Somerville do have that connection. And same with Mount Pleasant. They have that connection and they're good over there. And I just kind of help them and, and maintain and make sure the business runs good. So, so tell me, so, you know, you, it's a learning process, right? You open a new business. If you could go back and give yourself advice five or six years ago, what's, what are one or two things that you would like to tell yourself to make the journey a little bit easier? Yeah. I was thinking about this the other day, actually, I was covering for, uh, my, my chef in, in West Ashley went away for a few days and I was there at that store and, um, you know, trust me, I, I'm completely grateful for everything we have. But there's there's some times that I wish it was just the one store. You know, I wish there was I, I still have those moments in time when I wish I could do everything and cook everything and single handedly touch everything. Where does that come from? I just being a control freak, I think. Uh, okay. You know, and just knowing that, you know, like like we're in the, the chicken process right now, I call it. So we're you know, a couple of weeks ago I, I I've kind of been identifying a different thing each week. And, you know, a lot of these recipes were written five years ago sure. when we first opened. So there's some recipes and some procedures that I'm kind of looking at again and breaking them down. How can we do this better? And that's both a blessing and a curse for me is I'm always looking at stuff and how to make it better. Mm -hmm. And it gets on everybody's nerves because they think it's fine. But in my eyes, it's not. In my eyes, it can be better. Sure. So like, you know, we redid the whole rib process two weeks ago and now we're in the chicken process and we're we're reworking the whole chicken process and procedure. And so now, now as I learn to work on the business and not in the business, I'm trying to teach myself how to come up with these procedures so that everybody can do it yep. and everybody can replicate it. And, um, you know, we, my partner, my partner's great about buying books yeah. to train our managers and, and secretly trying to train me. Um, <laughs> But the last book we read was about expectations. Okay. You know? What was the book? Do I, I don't know the name. I, yeah. But it was about expectations. And it was how, you know, in order to be successful in the management world, you have to kind of step back off of your expectations of people and kind of, you know, come at it with a whole new viewpoint and, you know, maybe give it a small target, you know, and let them hit that target. And then, you know, you think of them in a different light rather than coming in with all these expectations and nobody's ever going to hit them because right. nobody's ever going to do something like you do. Sure. And that's what I'm going through now, not only personally, but in the business, trying to, to restructure all these procedures so people can hit these targets and, you know, still please the customer like yourselves every day in and day out. So, so what, what was the advice you give yourself from five years ago? <laughs> uh, um, uh, what would I, what would I tell myself five years ago? Just be a little more patient with people, with people. Yeah. With, with, with my coworkers, you know, there's a lot of times that, you know, they'll ask me questions and, and I was always so in the moment, I would just brush them off instead of taking the five minutes to show them. And maybe I wouldn't be in a position I am now redoing all these procedures. <laughs> Maybe I'd have more people that knew more stuff. Maybe, but I think it's all part of it. I think, you know, as somebody has gone through some of this, I think it's all part of the growth curve, right? It's, yeah. 
you know, and then you have to just kind of, it, it's only when it starts to break that you realize you have to change things and no one likes to change, but they like being irrelevant even less. And so we have to kind of adapt to those changes and be open to it. And so it sounds like you, uh, you guys are doing a pretty good job with that. So um, one thing I always like to ask people, cause uh, you know, I'm from New Jersey. Most of where I grew up hasn't really changed very much over, you know, over the 30, 35 years that I lived in that area. But I hear about how Charleston has changed a ton. What are some of the things that you've seen since you moved here that still make you go like, I can't believe how much it's changed here? Oh, it's it's crazy. I mean, so I've been here since 1990. So, did, so you know Mount Pleasant. Yeah. You know Snee Farm. Yep. Snee Farm was the outskirts of Mount Pleasant. Right. In 1990. Right. I used to go, I used to, to run with a crowd up in McClellanville. Uh, back in the early nineties and we would always make the weekend runs and spend the weekends in McClellanville and, you know, Snee farm was the outskirts of Mount Pleasant. Then you had another 30 minute, 45 minute drive until you hit McClellanville. Now Snee farm is like the middle yep. of yeah. Mount Pleasant. And by the time you get to the outskirts of Mount Pleasant, you only have 10 or 15 minutes till you're in McClellanville. Sure. Yeah. It's just, you know, that's how I look at it. And just the, just the, the number of people, you know, and the number of hotels and, number of restaurants i mean it's it's big it's big it's, well, it's <laughs> yeah. a great place to live that's why uh, we came yeah. down here <laughs> so um i guess what i guess so i'm just trying to figure out you know so you guys changed the menu i was just looking on the website it said like you know you updated the menu in june so what what when do you decide to update the menu? What things are you updating on a regular basis? Are you deciding which craft beers are there, which whiskeys you guys are using? Yeah. Take me take me through the journey of kind of making deciding what to change and when. I mean, not much of the menu has changed uh, offering wise. Um, updated. Updated. I think our first we didn't take our first price increase until almost four years into it, wow. and that's another thing. You know, we were just so just trying to, to grow, you know, and, and we, we never really stopped to look. And, you know, once we finally had a chance to sit down and, and look at some of the numbers again, and we realized some of the proteins have, you know, got a little more expensive on us and we're not charging accordingly. So that was our first price change about four years into it, our first price increase. Um, we might've added one or two sides. Uh, we added a salad to the offerings you know we had a basic salad before but then we just offered we just added the uh the brisket salad um the family plate we changed the layout of the whole menu um, we got a little more graphic design involved and we moved that family plate from the bottom right corner up to the middle of the menu because we sell more of those than we do anything else so we kind of made that the focus of the menu now um that was one of our ideas like two or three months into it we were selling pork 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 and I'm like, man, we need to find a way to, to let everybody taste everything that we do. Sure. You know, they're just so focused on the pork. So that's when we came up with the family plate that offers all seven of our proteins on the same tray. And, and once we started doing that, that started selling like wildfire. Still does. Yeah. So we sell those. And, you know, now you can upgrade that to a full rack of ribs and throw a half chicken on there or do whatever you want. So that's kind of your way. That. To, you got to get in there. Yeah, that's your way to play around. And, you know, you can feed six people easy on that thing. So... You know, and, that, and that's the other thing. People look at the prices and they're like, wow, how can you? Well, you could feed six people for 59 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, where that's else are you going to do that? Not, not, not with quality you know? food. Yeah, and then a sure. lot of, you know, people, you know, the biggest complaint is, you know, and it's not even a complaint. Like some people, they make comments about the pricing. I, you know, I think the one thing people don't realize about barbecue is 50% of that 
product is left on the grill. So like when you start out with a, a brisket, if you start out with a 12 pound brisket, okay. by the time it's done, it weighs six pounds. Okay. It's only a 50% yield. Pork butts are only like a 70% yield. Whole hog is only 40 to 50% yield. Okay. Um, pork belly is probably a 50% yield. So it's, you know, we, you start out with a, you know, if we're paying 350, say we're paying 350 for brisket, a pound. By the time it comes off the grill, I'm paying seven. Okay. You know, that's why brisket's $21 a pound. It's funny because I did, I, I was just in Austin and uh, I was there with a bunch of my buddies and we had, we rented an Airbnb and like behind the house, there was like um, a food truck selling barbecue. And I was like, oh, that's probably got, you know, it looked like a rundown food truck. We went in there and I was like, man, I was like, this barbecue seems expensive. And then I started thinking about it. And I'm like, it, it's all protein and animal, right? Like there, there's a real cost to it. As long as there's a bunch of fillers in there, yeah. you know, those ribs have a real cost. So yeah, I'm sure it's, uh, it, it, there is, there was menu shock for me just looking at it. And then when I started really thinking my way through it, it seems like it made more sense. Yeah. I mean, there's nowhere to hide, you know, and that's the big difference in barbecue and, and, and the incorporating barbecue into a restaurant model. Yeah. Um, you're not going to sell, a lot of appetizers to drive your food cost down, you know, because people, once they come in a few times, they know they're going to get plenty of food. Yeah. So they just go straight to the meat. Yeah. And it's hard to, you know, it's not hard to make a food cost, but you know, it's, you have to pay attention. Well, then I found out that food truck sells out is open from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. every day and then they sell, sell out. out. So they probably could raise prices and still do yeah. pretty well there. <laughs> yeah. So a couple of just quick, quick questions. So best barbecue you've ever had other than your own? Hmm. You know, I'm not, believe it or not, I haven't traveled much, like in the barbecue world. Okay. Um, so I've never been to Texas. So I, 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 I'm going to have to forego that answer until I've actually, you know, spread my wings and tried some barbecue across the country. Okay. I'd say to this point, some of the best barbecue I've had to date is Cozy Corner. Where's that? In Memphis. Okay. Yeah, awesome. It was ridiculous. So did you, is there some sort of an event that you're a part of in Idaho? Idaho, yeah. Tell me about that. So I, um, I co-founded an event in Idaho um, called From the Ashes. <laughs> what made you decide to do that in Idaho? Because I like to, I, so that's the thing. I, I've, I opened Swig and Swine, you know, I, had, I borrowed money yeah. from my parents, you know, to put up my cash and then my partners put up their cash and so we got the rest from the bank. So I've never had... The ability to travel. I did most of my research for Swig and Swine online. Okay. As we built the original location, so there was never the luxury of traveling or doing any of this. So now I figured out that barbecue will take me places. Yeah. It can. <laughs> so I'm yeah. like, okay, let's work this game a little bit. Yeah. And um, so three years ago, we were in uh, Nashville. Uh, we got invited from so one of the one of the companies or or one of the the groups that I've partnered with over the past couple of years is Certified Angus Beef. Um, great product. If you if you don't know anything about Certified Angus Beef, Google them, read their story. Um, it's just you know the 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 expectations that they grade their cattle out at are remarkable. You know it's above and beyond what everybody else does. Cool. So anyway, so I, I came on board with them. Um, I've been cooking their product for four years now. Um, our brisket is all Certified Angus Beef Prime. Um, so they invited me to cook at their opening reception for their annual conference in Nashville three years ago. Uh, we went not knowing what to expect. We set up on the street. Have you ever been to Nashville? 
I have not. There's yeah. the Omni. The there's the Omni Hotel downtown Nashville. We set up on the street right next to there. They called it the Barbecue Block Party. It was myself, uh, John Lewis, um, and Kent Black from Aust- from uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Okay. Uh, Joe Risky from Texas and uh, Joe from Joe's Barbecue in Alvin, Texas. So you have some people to go visit. Like, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. So like I'm getting to. to to meet a lot of people, but I just haven't gotten to see them yet. So while I was there, uh, the young lady who is in charge of the conference was her and I kind of hit it off and, you know, we were joking around the whole day and I thought she worked for certified Angus beef. And about a week after I got home, I got a package in the mail and it said, we want you to bring your circus to our town. And it was from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So apparently this young lady, Wendy, um, owns her own, um, corporate meeting planning business uh, framework meeting and design that's based out of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and she owns the contract for Certified Angus Beef Annual Conference. So that's just one of the many corporate conferences that she plans around the country throughout the course of the year. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so we started, you know, putting our heads together and and coming up with ideas. And and two years ago, we pulled off the first event uh, from the ashes. We sold out the first event, uh, almost broke even. And then, <laughs> which was, you know, quite an accomplishment. And then uh, this year, uh, we upped the ticket. We upped the ticket amount. I think we sold um, 300 more tickets this year than we did last year. Wow. Uh, we added a Friday night event to it, um, and we sold out the Friday night event too. So it's it's awesome. I bring three or four pitmasters from around the country, and we converge on Coeur d'Alene for a week, and we just do this one big open fire event. So that sounds so awesome. Cool. It's a beautiful part of the country too. Yeah, I've not yeah. been to Idaho yeah. either. And I'm a big fly fisher, so really? I look for all these places that have great fly fishing. Where'd you? How'd you get into fly fishing? Just something in, in Jersey? My sister? No, oh. my sister lives in Montana. Okay. Um, and the first time I went to visit her, like 20 years ago, I got hooked. So it's been a big, big passion ever since. But so now I look for all these little places I can go cook barbecue and fly fish at the same time. <laughs> So one of the joys of owning a business, you have customers, you have customers. What's your craziest customer story uh, from time either swinging swine or uh, even prior? Craziest customer story? I don't know if I have one. No, no. You guys, you've avoided all crazy customers. Yeah. I mean, I don't. Any, I, honestly, any famous famous people in Charleston stories? Um, Who's that one comedian? That one comedian really likes us. Uh, Louis, Louis Black. Louis Black. Okay. Yeah. Cool. He, he really likes us. Um, he comes into town every so often. I think he has a, a house on Kiowa. Okay. Um, or whenever he's in town doing a show, uh, he always comes in. Actually, he he had his he drove into he flew into the airport and the driver picked him up and they brought him to our Mount Pleasant location, <laughs> and his assistant and uh, lady friend were waiting for him at our West Ashley location <laughs> for lunch. So we had to to uh, divert him, him and he went back over to the West Ashley. So that was good. Two, two of my stores got to see him in one day. That's, That's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, I guess my last question is, you know, uh, obviously we probably have some people listening who would like to open up their own restaurant at some point. So is there any kind of advice that you'd offer to anybody else who uh, wanted to follow you in that path? You know, it's, it's, it has to be a passion. It really does. And I know people say that all the time and, but it's just one of those things that you, you can't get away from it. I mean, it's not something that you can, you know, just clock out and go home. I mean, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So, you know, if it's not a passion, it'll wear you down quick. Yeah. Really will. It'll wear you down quick. And the money's not there. 
Like people think you're going to open the door and the money's just going to start rolling in. It's not. It's not easy. You mean. No, it's not. I mean, the money's still. I mean, still not rolling in. You know what yeah. I mean? You're still paying bills and you're still, you know, still got to pay the the bank notes off where you you borrowed the money to do this and, you know, you got groceries or a big chunk of that that bill. You know, I mean, if you think about it, you know, you're lucky if you're bringing ten percent to the bottom line every every week, and you know that's. I think the national average is like eleven. Wow. In restaurants? Yeah. yeah but... And and that includes like the national average. So that includes places like Olive Garden and Applebee's and, you know, these corporate machines that are built to run, you know, then you take a little mom and pop operation like ours and it's, you know, it's a, it's a tough nut. People, people think it's easy money, but it's, it's not. And especially our operation where, you know, we're 85% food sales. So only 15% of our sales come from alcohol. So it's uh so yeah, so what can you, so, so. And you, you guys promote that. I mean, you, you promote through your through your menus and online, the craft beers and everything. Yeah. So you just, why do you, why do you think you don't do more of those sales? Well, I th- because I think we're we're a restaurant that mm-hmm. has the, you know, the the except the the beverages for you to buy while you're there. Sure. We're not a bar for you to come and drink and have some barbecue. Yeah. You know, and that and that's good for me. I'm okay with that. That's you know, I'd rather be known as. A place that you can bring your family, have a great meal. If you want a beer or two, you can have it. Want a cocktail? We got it, and we're okay with that. We're 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 good with that reputation. We're good with closing the door at ten o'clock every night and not having a bar crowd until midnight. And you know, there's a lot of trouble that comes with that. So I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been to a bar that late, so yeah. I wouldn't know. But uh, so, is there anything that we haven't asked you about that you think we should know about? You know, your business or your your journey. Uh, I don't think so. You guys are pretty thorough. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. How about you? How, how about your journey? My journey. Yeah. I don't know. What uh, made you guys come down here and open a mortgage company? Well, so we so we had our own mortgage company in New Jersey. We uh, sold it in 2016, stayed on there for about a year, which we kind of had to do con- contractually. And then we were going to start over and there was no reason to do it in New Jersey where it's expensive and cold and the people are the wonderful people of New Jersey. Oh, yeah. And uh, so we, honestly, we just, we'd been here on vacation maybe four years prior and fell in love with it and thought maybe we'd retire here. And then we said, well, why don't we just move down there? And we were going to open up. Our... one bad trip down to Philly, actually. Yeah, in the snow. In the snow we where I... drove off the road and we were like. I'm done, done. With, done with the winters. So we, um, we were going to come down here, open up like a little small boutique mortgage company. And then I got a call from a guy who's running this, family-owned business named Princeton Mortgage and wanted to take the company national. And I said, well, I'm in if you let me do it from Charleston. Kind of thinking he'd say, you're crazy. There's no big mortgage companies based out of Charleston. And then he said, okay. So uh, here we are. For the first year, he said, kept saying he's Charlotte. so excited about us opening in Charlotte. I'm like, Charleston, <laughs> I'm like, Rich. Uh, Charleston. So. There's a difference. Um, but uh, it's, it's honestly been amazing. And I, just moving here, the people here, um, our community in Oyster Point where we live in Mount Pleasant, uh, just a dream. It's oh, that's a great dream for us. That's yeah, amazing. yeah, it's a beautiful place to live, and you know, it's just food's it, incredible. Down yeah, there. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, there's a new restaurant. I mean, you can you can write your bucket list of restaurants and never hit it. Never. You know, and then there's always something to do. There's always something going on, music wise, festival wise. I mean, it's just it's amazing. What are some of your favorite things to do? Hobbies. Fish. Outside? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I live in a little place down by off 17 Bolton's Landing and um, there's 22 ponds in the neighborhood. So I come home and, you know, after I visit the restaurants and I'll park my truck and fix dinner and 
after dinner, I'll take my fly rod out and I'll just walk the neighborhood and hit the ponds and so cool. or go for a bike ride. And, you but know, our, we have a six year old and she loves to fish. We have some retention. Ponds yeah. In Same thing. Point and yeah. she uh, caught an eel a few weeks ago, yeah. like 20, probably almost 24 inch, 18 inches. So it was an ugly thing too. It was, it not, was, yeah. <laughs> it was some kind she of was... special eel that I had not seen before. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no. So thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah. No, is it yeah, my uh, pleasure. awesome, you know, giving us our, our real start going out here on the podcast. And I think a lot of people will enjoy your story. So, um, yeah, follow, uh, Swig and Swine on Swig Instagram and, Swine, and Facebook yeah. and, uh, support them and go, uh, go get yourself some meat. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming. Thank in. You. Thank you. Appreciate it.